What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant. But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Season 7 is drawing closer and closer to its conclusion. We began this journey in July of 2019. At the time, all we knew about the murder of Bill Little was that he was shot to death in a gas station on Easter Sunday in 1991, and a man has been sitting in prison for that crime for 20 years. We knew that Jamie Snow was convicted without a single stitch of physical evidence. He was convicted because the prosecution paraded over a dozen witnesses in front of the jury all claiming to have some knowledge of Jamie confessing to the crime. But none of their stories matched up with each other. Since then, the Truth and Justice Army has gone deep into the weeds in our investigation. And that level of scrutiny and attention to detail has yielded some amazing results. Jamie's alibi has been confirmed through his ex-wife, and our crowdsourced investigation has led to a narrowing down of the suspect pool. Months ago, we heard from Jamie's attorney with the Exoneration Project, Tara Thompson. And today, we're checking back in with Tara to see where we go from here. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Full disclosure, I'm going to be out of the country next week. So Mike, Zach, Shane, and I are all working double time to get four episodes put together this week instead of two. With that being said... I'm going to tell you right now that this episode will be short and sweet. You're about to hear my closing interview with Tara Thompson. And next week, we'll be back with our Season 7 finale. Without further ado, here's my closing conversation with Tara Thompson. 
So, Tara, we've been working on Jamie's case now for it's just over six months. And as, as we're drawing to the conclusion of this season, I know that you've been you've been listening along as we've gone and we've had some contact with me passing tips and information on to you. Uh, so the first thing I'd like to know and for the listeners to know is, is what are your thoughts and or your feelings on what's been done this season? Well, I've been really impressed both with the you know work that you, Bob, and your uh, staff and the people you've worked with to dig in and, and rethink this case and come up with some additional angles and things that change how we think about what happened here. And I've also been impressed with you know the people who have been listening and the additional thinking that they've done with this and the questions they've asked and the information they've uncovered. You know, this is has, was a complicated investigation that spans years and there's so many facts and so many things involved in the investigation. And you guys have been thinking about a lot of it and your listeners have been thinking about a lot of it. And it's been great for me to listen to what everybody's come up with. Yeah. You know, this, this season has been for me, one of my favorites as far as how our listeners have gotten engaged. And we, when we originally started truth and justice, it was very much a crowdsourced investigation with everybody chipping in. And we've always had that, but but this season seems to have kind of revived that where we have I mean, there there are several listeners that are further ahead than I am with the case and they know what's going on and they've they've come up with new thoughts and theories and made connections and you know, have have discovered new leads based on the the research that, that they've been doing. And so, you know, where we're we're kind of at right now is we're sort of passing the baton back to you is, in my opinion, you know, when I started this case, and even when I had Clementi on the first time and did the first profile, I really felt like this was definitely someone we were looking for with a personal grudge against Bill. But the more I've dug into it and investigated it, my feeling now is is really that it seems like this very well may have just been a robbery gone wrong and and what Jim said in his most recent interview that you know probably still someone not terribly sophisticated and probably immature but someone that that went in there to rob the store and things got complicated when Bill got between them and the door what are your opinions about about where we're at with sort of our our working theory on the case I was very interested in everything that Jim had to say on that front and I guess I think you know it's hard to understand what would drive someone to kill someone in any situation. Human life is so uh, valuable, and here you've got a working-class kid who, you know, was involved in his job, and there this doesn't seem to be much motive that anybody would have to want to take his life. And it, it's hard to explain why why somebody would have had, you know, the motive to kill him. And the idea that this was somebody who was in the wrong place at the wrong time and ran into someone who was desperate and and just did something stupid in the heat of the moment. You know, that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. And most importantly, what I would say about that is, you know, that's not Jamie Snow. If that's the profile of the person who did this, that does not match Jamie at all. You know, Jamie had a young family home on Easter the night of this crime. And if there's one person that we know didn't go into that uh, convenience store to kill somebody over a minuscule amount of money. It was Jamie. And so if that's what happened here. That just reaffirms for me that, you know, Jamie is innocent. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, nothing with in this case fit Jamie even from the very beginning, all the way from the the the, the two descriptions we had from from Martinez and Gutierrez to the just the behavior and and of course the fact that Jamie has you know in my opinion a rock solid alibi. I mean his 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 ex wife and his ex in laws you know were all very clear about where he was at that night. But then you know, as we as we dig deeper, you know, no matter where the profile goes, it never points to Jamie. And honestly, the the most powerful thing Jamie said to me through this whole time that we've kind of grown close and spoke, you know, often was when we were talking about doing any DNA testing and he said they can test everything in there. There's no way they can put me in that gas station there. I I promise you there's not a single way they can put me in that gas station because I've never even stepped foot in it. That's been true about Jamie from the beginning. And I think that's reflected even in the work that you and your listeners and the people you've had on have done this season. You know, Jamie and us as his representation team have never said to anyone, just take our word for it, that he is innocent. What I think Jamie has always said and what we've always said is all we want is an opportunity to explain to someone, you know, what this evidence is for someone to review it for themselves and draw their own conclusions. And this case, you know, when you, when you dig down into the details is what, is what you've done this, this season. Um, when you dig down into the details, when you scrutinize it, which is what Jamie wants, you know, it just doesn't add up. And he's not a person who's afraid for people to look hard at this. And when you look hard at it, his innocence, all the reasons that he deserves a new trial are clear. So on that front, where exactly is Jamie at in the process of his appeals? So we are never going to stop litigating for Jamie until he's out. You know, he's an innocent person. He's deserve he is serving a life sentence. Every day that he spends in prison is an injustice and we'll keep litigating until Jamie is free. What we're working on right now and I think some of what you've done this season will help us to make those arguments is to pursue additional forensic testing because as your listeners know as you know, you know, forensic testing, the possibilities there have advanced by leaps and bounds you know, since the time of this crime, since the time of Jamie's trial, even since the time we were back in court asking for some forensic testing now 10 years ago. You know, the modern capabilities of that testing are amazing. And what they can do, what experts and scientists can do, even with a couple of human cells somewhere, is amazing. And also a lot of the databases that identify people's profiles and what's possible in terms of making identifications has also expanded exponentially even in the last few years. And I continue to believe that there are forensic answers at this scene that explain who was responsible for this crime. And so we've asked the court to grant Jamie that testing. We've been doing some investigation to support our motion, and we're going to take what we have from all sources that support our right to get that testing. And we hope that a court um, will grant the motion we have pending. We're going to continue to present to the court what we've got and try to seek additional forensic testing that will test the, some of the prints that were found at the scene and test some of the other evidence that we believe contains some scientific answers to what happened. We're hopeful that there's going to be results there, and we've also got a lot of new evidence now in terms of some investigation that we've been working on and everything that you've uncovered during this season. You know, there are a lot of answers and additional evidence that a court should hear from what you all have done, Bob, and rather than ask the court to just listen to your whole season of the podcast, which is probably what we should do, we're going to take uh, some of the most important things that you all have developed, and we're going to ask a court to look at that, too, because this case 
you know, is your proverbial puzzle. And when you put all these puzzle pieces together, including a lot of what you've put together, a picture of, you know, Jamie's innocence and a picture of all these facts that a jury just never heard, never had an opportunity to consider are clear. And so there's additional post-conviction litigation that Jamie can seek to, and we're going to keep working on that for him. So what um, the forensic testing, is it possible for you to give us a list of like, what, what are you exactly trying to test from the crime scene? I know you mentioned fingerprints and Jamie had said that to me also that he he was hoping to get DNA from the print lifts from the crime scene. It's possible to get DNA from those prints. These are primarily prints that were on the door to the gas station. One thing we do know, and we have some evidence from some of the other employees who worked at the gas station, is that this gas station was actually pretty clean. You know, when you look at these photographs, this obviously was a humble neighborhood gas station, but the people who worked there were very serious about cleaning, and they cleaned all the time. And we have affidavits we presented to the court that talk about that. So from our perspective and from what the evidence shows, this is a this is not a situation where, hey, maybe these prints belong to somebody who, you know, was a customer a couple weeks ago, was a customer a couple months ago, you know, accumulated evidence from from random people over time. The forensic evidence that, that's at the scene should be evidence that comes from, you know, the very night of this shooting. So we hope that we can get DNA from those prints. We hope for an opportunity to run them back through the fingerprint um, databases that the FBI and local law enforcement maintain to see if in the intervening years, you know, these prints belong to somebody who has had other run-ins with the law. There's also other forensic evidence at the scene that we want an opportunity to test. You know, as your as your listeners probably know, there's blood behind the cash register that, you know, may belong to the victim, may belong to somebody else. We'd like an opportunity to look at that. And we'd like an opportunity to look more at the bullets that were found at the scene and potentially to look at Bill Little's clothing further to see if the person who shot him also struggled with him or fought with him in a way that could have left skin cells or other DNA on Bill Little's clothing. So there's a a lot of potential things that we're looking for the opportunity to test. I think the prints are extremely important, but that's that's not the beginning and the end of it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With as far as the clothing, have you have you done any research into or considered trying to use the MVAC technology to test those test his clothing? I'm really interested in the possibilities there and with whatever most updated systems there are for getting at smaller amounts 
of DNA. You know, this is not a, a sexual assault case or the kind of case where, you know, you have obvious sources of DNA that you want to test aside from the prints. You know, this is a this is a collection operation of identifying what DNA is there and then figuring out who it belongs to. So we're open to whatever updated technologies are going to be available for us to to do this. And we, you know, we hope that we'll have the agreement of the state and the partnership of the state and looking for those answers. What's that relationship look like? You know, it seems like there's been a lot of roadblocks put up or they've, they've fought a lot of the testing. Where do things stand now between you at the, in the exoneration project and the state's attorney's office uh, in order to try to get this stuff tested? I mean, I don't want to speak for the state on that. I hope that they'll speak for themselves. And, and what I will say is there has been, you know, even over the course of your show, over the course of Jamie's case, obviously prosecutors don't and prosecutors' offices don't stay the same. You know, there's there's changeover in those offices, just like there is in other governmental entities in the United States. And I hope that as we continue to present our case to the court, that we'll have agreement from the state about what we want to do. I, I, we don't have that agreement formally in court yet, but I hope that the state will look at what we'll filed, what we filed, and will consider whether this is something they want to support. You know, it's part of our job as Jamie's lawyers to be advocates and to you know prove our position. And I think that when you look at our DNA testing motion in particular, you know, it's something that should be agreed to because we're not asking for, you know, a get out of jail free card for Jamie. You know, we're not asking, like I said, we're not asking anybody to take our work. We're asking for an opportunity to present the evidence to a court. And that includes to me, you know, the opportunity to search for answers in the forensic evidence. I think that's something that the state's attorney's office should want, particularly since it's not going to cost the taxpayers of McLean County any money. Um, I think that's something that the people of McLean County have a right to have answers. I think anybody associated with this case, people who loved and cared about the victim should want affirmative answers. And that's what that's what we want. So, you know, I hope that the state will look at this and feel the same. And just because we don't have we haven't had that uh, you know agreement for that testing up to this point doesn't mean we're not going to get it. And I, I hope that the state attorney's office will take a serious look at this and, you know, make an appropriate call about that. And you said, did you say that motion is already pending in court right now? It is. I mean, we had we filed our motion and we had an opportunity to get, to get some additional discovery to help us further prove our right to that testing. And, and we're at a point now where we've finished reviewing that discovery and we're going to ask a court to make a final decision so that we can move that forensic testing motion forward and hopefully start to get some answers. Now, will it will it help you at all, either through court or in the just the actual forensic testing, if you have a group of uh, suspects that you want to specifically compare it to? Because I know I've run into in other cases where we have DNA, but the the standards as far as you know how many loci and 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 the quality of the DNA has to be at a certain level before it can even be put into uh, uh, CODIS, but if we have specific suspects, we might be able to get their DNA to compare it to. Is 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 that a help either in court or or just practically in the process of determining who killed Bill? I think it's always a help to know what evidence is out there that points to specific people and you know specific potential suspects. I should say. So I think that's always useful, and I think it's always useful to consider DNA testing in in the context of the greater evidence. So so sure. I mean one. 
you know, possibility for testing is that we will get an actual match in CODIS, as you said, or, you know, a match in APHIS through the fingerprint testing to a specific person. Another option is that we will get a profile that, you know, I'm 100% confident is not going to be Jamie Snow. And then the question will be, who does it belong to? And being able to do some specific matching to specific people, if we have some ideas of of who the suspects might be, um, that's certainly something that we'd ask a court to do. So, you know, that, that's a, a good point. You mentioned that you're, you know, if we get a profile, certainly it won't be Jamie's. But do you think that this is a little tricky case? I mean, do you think if you got a profile back, say, from Bill's clothing and it's not Jamie's, do you think that that would be enough for a new trial? I mean, obviously, that would be up to a court. I think that, that would be up to the court. There's also a concept in these kinds of forensic cases that becomes relevant called redundancy, which really just means if you get the same profile across multiple things. You know, maybe it's possible that, you know, the victim here ran into a random person, you know, two hours before his shift who bumped into him and left something on his shirt. You know, the fact that there's random DNA on somebody's shirt doesn't necessarily mean that that belongs to the killer. But if there's the same profile on Bill Little's shirt is on other evidence, or if there's the same profile uh, on one of these prints that's connected to somewhere else in this business or on some other piece of evidence where that DNA really shouldn't be, then that redundancy makes you ask a lot of questions. You know, even if you can never identify that profile, why does that profile appear on multiple pieces of evidence in the same case? That's another concept here that I think is going to be relevant for this testing, even if we can't make an identification. But frankly, at this point, I think there's no reason to think that we wouldn't be able to identify these profiles. And that's part of why we've asked for the testing and asked for submissions to CODIS if possible. You know, most crimes, even a crime that could be random, like this one, you know, most people do not shoot a convenience store clerk in the early evening hours of Easter Sunday and never commit another crime in their lives. That would be surprising. It's not impossible, but that would be surprising. So we expect that this forensic evidence may very well connect to somebody who's already had connections with law enforcement at some other point in their life. Right. And, you know, as from the investigative side, for me looking at it, you know, I would I would certainly love to have Jeff Miller's DNA to be able to compare that to, whether it's to clear him or to, you know, connect him to the crime. Because, you know, in, the, in a case like that, you know, like you, you mentioned redundancy, but also when you have other evidence that indicates, you know, for example, Miller's wife telling police that he's the one that shot Bill. And then you find his DNA there. It certainly at that point is a lot harder to explain away how you might have randomly bumped into him in the street. I think the context of this of the DNA and of everything else that we know in the case is really important. So, you know, I don't know who committed this crime other than knowing for sure that it wasn't Jamie Snow, but I think that forensics will contribute to answers there. And if there are people that were suspects to the authorities for various reasons who we potentially you know, believe had some involvement in this case, but it's more difficult to prove without scientific answers. Obviously, the science is going to potentially explain and corroborate some evidence that there is from other sources. Do you think that, kind of moving off of forensics for a minute, do you think that it would be possible to move Jamie's case forward in a positive way with the investigation into other suspects without forensic evidence? You know, for example, uh, you know, Jeff Miller's wife, you know, who said back in 91 that Jeff did this, that if someone, if she were to come forward with a statement now confirming now, you know, because at the time, of course, she was in jail and there was other circumstances there. But if she were to come forward now and say, no, that 
confirm this happened, write an affidavit, something along those lines. Would that even be enough now to move it forward without having forensics to back that up? Well, about the Jeff Miller evidence in particular, or the you know information about Jeff Miller that's been discussed on, on your podcast, I can't really speak to that specifically. I think what I can say is we have an idea in the public mind that you know DNA post-conviction DNA testing is the gold standard and that that's going to answer the most questions for us in cases. And I think that that's certainly true because when you have scientific answers, you know, we all believe in science no matter what we think about anything else. And we accept that as true and valid. And that gives us maybe the best, most objective evidence about what happened in a crime. But the vast majority of crimes are not crimes where there's any forensic evidence whatsoever. And that's even increasingly true in the post-conviction community, that if you look at exonerations in the United States, increasingly those, you know, frequently have nothing to do with new forensic evidence because forensic evidence is always available to solve a crime. And and if this is a situation where, you know, somebody walked into the store, somehow was able to avoid touching the door in a certain way when they did it, you know, shot this poor victim without touching him, was able to get the money from the register without being the one to open it, um, you know, left no genetic trace and left, that you know, while I don't think that's what happened here, that wouldn't be shocking. That wouldn't be something that's impossible. And so the answers for Jamie Snow may very well come in spite of not having forensic answers. I don't think that means we shouldn't seek those forensic answers. I think the answers really are there. But if that's not something that we get for Jamie, that doesn't mean that that his case is over, that he's got no route, because it's the same way that the police built this case against Jamie from the first place. You know, they built it on on him without any science, and it can be undone without science, too. And information we have about people who had motives, people who, you know, had some connection to the crime scene, people who, you know, for whatever reason, there's evidence that they were involved. I think that's very important on its own. And I think that the answers for Jamie are going to come, you know, not necessarily from one source, but from a lot of sources and a lot of, as I said, a lot of puzzle pieces being fit together that explain this. So to me, you know, we want all the answers we can get from whatever source. But if if there's one thing that doesn't pan out, I think the answers are going to be elsewhere and we just got to keep looking. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and you guys have, prior to this, you've, Jamie has had some uh, appeals denied. And in, in, in one of the most recent ones, I mean, you guys have brought the court new evidence with witness recantations, right? And, and they didn't feel that was good enough? The issue for Jamie, I, well, 
let me, let me actually say this in response to your question. I mean, the first thing is, Illinois law specifically allows for somebody to file a successive post-conviction petition where they continue to find new evidence. And so the law contemplates that people are going to come back to the court, and people in Jamie Snow's situation are never going to stop because his life is worth that. His life is worth it to keep investigating and keep fighting to find the truth so he can come home. And that's why I say we're not going to stop investigating, and we're not going to stop filing appropriate motions with the court when we have evidence that we, we want the court to look at. So... It's, it's common for people to sometimes not win on the first try. I mean, these cases are complicated, and the effort that went into convicting somebody is massive. And just as that was massive, the effort that goes into getting somebody free is massive, and that can take years, as it has for, for Jamie. So that's not unusual. What the courts have said about Jamie's case, and this is kind of a simplification of, of where his case has been at over the years, but what the courts have said is, that they believe that there's evidence from, you know, different sources from different people that resulted in, in him being convicted. And so they've said in their view that it's just not, you know, one thing that they want to look at to change their minds. And that's why I say that I think the answers for Jamie are going to come from multiple sources because the prosecutors were able to present at Jamie's trial testimony from a number of people who claimed, you know, that they had evidence about Jamie that demonstrated that he was guilty. And so We've got to knock down what they what they said at court and to show that that's not true because it's not, um, and to show people who really had motive and involvement in this crime because that evidence is out there. So, you know, courts so far haven't felt like they've heard enough, and we're looking for the enough. Right, and you've had more. There, there have been more witnesses that have recanted since his last appeal. Is that accurate? So is is there are, are those are, are have you filed motions on those yet or is that still pending for you to put together another package for the court? We're still putting the pieces together and and we believe it's important this round for the court to be able to consider any scientific evidence that we get from the forensic testing. So we want a court to look at these forensic testing results uh, so that we can then move forward on on what additional we found. And I believe, I mean, even like your season where people have called in tips, where people have come forward with information that we didn't know before. I mean, I think that's going to keep continuing. I mean, your show has really re-raised some public consciousness and interest in this case. And I believe has, I think, uh, you know, other people have said that there's somebody out there who's got the answers here. And maybe we have the answers with what you've discovered this season. Maybe there's more out there we need to know. But I think people continue to have answers out there, and we hope that people will continue to come forward even after, you know, this season ends, because there's people who know what happened, and anybody who's got information that's going to help us solve this, just like you want to know it this season, you know, we want to know it so that we can keep moving this case forward, too. Right, and we do still continue with all of our cases. Once we wrap them up, we keep the tip line open, and we're always taking in, I'm still getting tips and information in uh, you know, almost weekly from our season one case from five years ago. So, you know, as that stuff comes in, we come back and update. And as a matter of fact, uh, we had a big update, new information come in in our season three case that I haven't, it's going to be a couple of weeks before I piece it together for the audience to hear. But so yeah, we keep working on them. As a matter of fact, I had a, a tip call come in for Jamie's case yet this morning that I haven't quite, I haven't finished reviewing yet that I'll be, you know, passing on to you when I get it, but, but they'll, they'll continue to come in. We're going to continue to advocate for Jamie and we're going to continue to update uh, everyone that has been so interested in his case for the last six months as new information comes along. And I guess before we get to that, that point, do you have any expectation for 
what the future looks like for Jamie as far as court, you know, is or, or do you expect to have any results from any motions or anything within the next year or two years? Do you, I, mean, I know you, you, you won't be able to pin that down, but do you have any expectations for what the next couple of years look like for Jamie Snow? Well, I think that we want to continue to work through everything that we've got now to make sure that we're presenting the court, everything that's out there. And as far as the timing, I mean, you're right. I can't really, I can't really predict what the timing is going to be because some of this depends, we hope, on how long it takes for forensic labs to be able to sort through some of this evidence and do the testing that we're asking for. And we hope that's something we're going to get. So when are we going to have the answers for Jamie? I don't know. But what I can tell you is that over the coming year, over the coming two years, we're going to keep doing everything that we can to move the case forward, whether that's in court, whether that's through, you know, additional investigation, whatever it is, we're going to keep working on that. I'm really looking forward to to seeing how things pan out. You know, I've seen kind of a big change in Jamie. As a matter of fact, he sent me an email just uh day before yesterday and just, you know, told me that he he has a whole new outlook on things. And, and I want to thank our listeners just for the support they've given him. He's got a whole lot of new pen pals that he's that he's writing back and forth with and and he's he's got he's got a lot of hope and he's feeling confident and kind of excited about the what the future might hold so i think he's in he's absolutely in in great hands with you and your team and and we're looking forward to any updates uh, as things move along and with that i'm about to let you go but before i do i guess i'll give you this this last opportunity for for season seven if you have anything you want to address to the audience that's been working on jamie's case for the last six months i really want to thank people for listening to your show for taking an interest in this case for taking an interest in jamie you know we have a real desire in our criminal justice system for finality and for people to say okay well you know a court convicted jamie and a a jury convicted him and so that must be the answer and I'm going to just accept that answer and move on, and I'm going to leave Jamie to rot in jail. But anybody who looks at this case with an open mind, I think, can see that we don't have the right answers here. We don't have finality. And I I appreciate anybody being willing to look at this case, to think about it with an open mind for the people who wanted to try to help us get information that would help. I know Jamie appreciates that. We appreciate people, you know, trying to see justice done, even when justice is messy and complicated and even when the truth is a little a little hidden where there's some digging that has to be done. You know, it takes the interest and commitment of everybody in the community and people out there who just want to see justice done sometimes for that to happen. So for people out there who who want to see that happen, who want to be a part of a solution to injustice in our country, whether that's a more general issue or specifically injustice and what that means in Jamie Snow's life, I really appreciate that. And I hope that people will continue to help us find answers. And as you said, you know, your tip line is going to be open we want people to come forward. I, I think somebody out there knows the truth. Somebody out there knows somebody who knows the truth. So that's what uh, I'm asking for. That's what Jamie's asking for, is for people to continue to care and help us look for answers. Our work with Tara Thompson and the Exoneration Project is not over. After we have concluded Season 7 on the podcast, I will continue to work on the case and provide any and all new leads to Tara and her team. But... Sadly, we've reached the point where it's time to leave the broadcast behind and move on to our next case. But before we do that, we have some loose ends to tie up. We need to go back to where this journey began. 
with the man who sent me the message in a bottle that sent us on a course to search for justice for Bill Little. Season 7 would not be complete without hearing from Jamie Snow himself. His daughter Nicole, who has been fighting to bring her dad home for her entire adult life. And of course, Bill Little's very best friend, Danny Hartley. All of that is next week on the Season 7 finale of Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is attributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineering by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 7 logo was created by me, with assistance from Zach Weaver and Shane Yoder. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I'd like to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month. And we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email, theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.